boxing is never gonna die. It's fighting, right? It's primitive. It's like sex. We need it. Yes. Guess what happens when you buy castles, man? <laughs> you gotta fight till you're 60 years old. Don't buy castles. That should be the first rule. P.O.P., baby. He was getting in those ears. You're out of your mind, bro. Instead of boxing, it's a sport that keeps on fucking us over and over. But because I'm in love with it, I stay with it. <laughs> And welcome to P.O.P. Picking up punches. It's your boy, Serge Chacon. Now my man, the guard, the Yiddish guard, <laughs> my doggy dog, Derek Drescher. What's happening, daddy-o? What's going on with you, Pop? How you feeling? I'm a little drained. drained. Marathon training, uh, as you know, because you drew out the plan for me. It's kicking my ass. And I'll be honest with you. I don't want to do it. Yo, I feel you on that. You I don't want to do it. Only crazy people want to do marathons. You, you seem very level-headed, but you're going to do it. It's the 50th New York City Marathon. It's a, it's a big one. It's a big one. Big medal. Big medal. I'd be, I wish I could be in it. I'm glad you're doing it. But the thing that's funny, the other day is you messaged me and said, I'm just not going to do my long run this week. That's okay, right? And I said, absolutely not. That is not okay. I said, do you want to finish a marathon or do you want to run a marathon? And you want to run a marathon, right? That is correct. You got to get all your steps and time on feet, baby. Time on feet. Yeah, I'm always, when I have a run, I'm reminded that it's like, it's the analogy of life, right? It's a lot of shit that is, is, is coming into play that I don't want to deal with, but you just got to keep on pushing and, and moving forward. So I hope that what the lessons uh, that I'm, I'm getting from this training <laughs> apply to other areas of my life. Oh, it will. <laughs> Because right now, it's a little torturous. And you know what? The fact of the matter is no one cares. Nobody gives a shit. No one cares. This is about me. It's a selfish endeavor. And it's, it's a little annoying. Are your family supportive? No, no. The <laughs> last time I ran it, I walked in on my daughter uh, laying on her belly with her feet crossed <laughs> playing uh, Tetris, a game she doesn't even like after I ran 26 uh, miles. No congratulations? Yeah. I mean, she like looked over at me and like I was annoying her. So... <laughs> That's hardly a congratulations. <laughs> uh, my my wife had food waiting for me. It wasn't a home cooked meal. Good woman, good woman. But it was a uh, it was a dirt bag uh, collection of different types of food all in one platter from a cookout Pla uh, platter. Oh no, from the, uh, the Colombian food. You know how they get that. Oh yeah, yeah. A Colombian platter is like eggs, chicharrón, uh, avocado, avocado, rice and beans, chicken. I don't think there's any chicken, but there's also like um, cocaine. <laughs> Basically, it's a concoction of different foods that were that really inspire one to shit themselves. Yo, yeah, it slid right out, huh? Yeah, I mean, it was a, a you know, that was. Did you wear your name on your shirt your first marathon? No, because I have it tattooed on my forearm already. <laughs> do you really? Because I'm, I'm I'm a dirt bag. Yeah, but no one could read that shit. I you have a tattoo on your belly. I do have my name across my belly. Like and we I'm, may have covered this on a previous episode, but the fact of the matter is, we're New York City trash. That's absolutely right. Yeah, we're New York City dirtbags, and mm -hmm. let it be known that we want people to recognize who they're dealing with. Absolutely. Our government is tattooed on our body. Mm -hmm. and, 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 you know, Derek, you've been involved in criminal activity. Why... Why would you do that? Why would you tattoo your last name on your belly? You want to know most of the crimes you committed, everyone knows were shirtless. Yes, I was picked up and without a shirt. Your abdominal area, you have your tattooed many times, and a lot of times when the cops arrested me, if I had a shirt on, I would no longer have a shirt by the time I was brought to the precinct. That's 
<laughs> I used to go see the judges and they'd be like, where's his shirt? Get him a shirt. Yeah, and then I, they would give me a shirt and then whoop my ass again. But I always thought as long as I, if I wore a shirt and no one could see my tattoos with the shirt on, it was, I was good money. Because if I wear a short sleeve shirt, nobody could tell I have tattoos, even though I'm covered in ink. Hmm. I'm covered in it. Yeah. Uh, gang affiliation. Uh, <laughs> thing, you know. Things like that. Things of such a nature. <laughs> if you get what I'm saying. But if you wear your name on your shirt during the marathon, people will call out to you. Go, Sergio. Go. Go, Sergio. Go. I guess so to inspire me and to, to inspire you. Because listen. I don't need it. <laughs> I don't need it. Your last marathon was not something to write home about. You finished the marathon. That's actually something to be proud about. But you have a goal. You started training late, but you've caught up. You know, I've created a, a great plan to preserve your 42-year-old body through training has so it does not break down by the day that you get to the start line because I'm a professional and I, I've, I have about 100 marathoners that I've completed under my tutelage. <laughs> I do this for a living. You know what I mean? I've run uh, four uh, marathons myself plus three ultras. All right, this was uh, a year after getting clean. So I'm a monster when it comes to this. I know about all of it. Uh, hurt knees, toenails falling off, all that shit. Don't mean nothing to me. Yeah, and I it don't mean nothing to the race either. <laughs> I have a soft toenail. It's just wet all the time. <laughs> what does that mean? It's just wet like a sponge. I think you got to go to the podiatrist, Pop. Yeah, I mean, it lifts. So I got what's happening nail. is there's, an, <laughs> there's another toenail growing underneath that nail. Yeah. You should rip it off. Every time I, every time I lift it, it goes. Does it smell a little bit when you lift it? Oh, oh it makes God. that sound? It goes, yeah. Like you're entering, you know, some good stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. They don't know about that. Do they know? Some of them might. Some of them might. Yeah, so the yeah you got to rip that toenail off. Yeah, the toenail's looking crazy. Uh, bunions so do you see up. the difference in the way you're training for this marathon and the last one? Yeah, I'll tell you what's different is the fact that I got a, a late start. And right. I think that's actually helping preserve my body because I feel stronger and it feels, I feel more efficient. I'm just a little bored with the runs. So if you can uh, provide me with a playlist. No, 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 I can't. If I was you, I would run without music. Yeah, that's what I would do. So you, you, you know, you called me the other day and you said, I, I'm not going to run. Is that okay? Like you thought I would co-sign that shit, which is insane. Now, let me ask you a question. P.O.P., picking off punches. We love boxing, right? Do you think Ali ever told Bundini Brown, hey, I'm going to take off today? Is that all right? Yeah, I mean, Ali is, is, is built differently. You know, I'm looking for $400 running sneakers. He ran in combat boots. For what? <laughs> like, why would he do that? Because he was a monster. That's it's, why. It's, it's Dude. Ob it's obnoxious. You, if you, fighters who do not do their road work, and this is 110% true, if they do not do their road work, they usually lose if they, if they half-ass their road work. Uh, we can even go back and look at Jermaine Taylor versus Ke Kelly Pavlik. He would not run on the road. He did his road work on a treadmill. You're not out in the elements. It's different. You're running in like a controlled, like good feeling environment with the AC, AC on you. And yeah. Kelly, once the heat got turned up, Kelly, Kelly Pavlik put yeah, him to Yeah, running sleep. on a treadmill is not the same. It's no, like it's a 40% difference. If you want to like, if you're doing it just you're to get watch, in shape, great. You're watching great. the view. Yeah. You, I would love to see somebody train for an outdoor marathon only on a treadmill and see how that turns out. <laughs> I, I would just like to see it. You know what I mean? 
Yeah. Some people have run marathons on treadmills. Yeah, that's a, yeah, that that's a, that's tough. That's insane. That's yeah. insanity. You know, and there's you know, these marathons like every community of people just has annoying people. There's gonna be somebody who bear crawls the marathon. There's one there's one of yeah, those. Yeah, an idiot wearing a lobster suit. Yeah. I wanna punch those guys. <laughs> yeah, how about how about the guy who wears this stuff a, a, a three piece suit? Like look at me. Yeah, and wingtips. Yeah. Bozos. Making everybody shitting on everybody else's uh, you know, accomplishments. All right, we get it. You want attention. Yeah, I just want I just want to pregnant uh, women, go sit down. Relax. What's the matter with you? <laughs> Jesus. What's your what's what's your husband doing? How would you let would Yo. you would you let your pregnant wife run a marathon? They got those stupid ass shirts with the feet on them. <laughs> Get out of here. Fucking babies dropping on, on on the course. Yeah, and marathoners have annoying bodies. They're like they look like blow pops because they lose every <laughs> piece of muscle on their body. So now I got my view is gonna be of a bunch of soupy asses. Soupy asses, yeah, bro. But you're gonna look funny out there because you're like muscular. You're aging backwards. I have a long torso, but you got short a, legs. Long torso, my, my, short my body's legs. Not meant for running. And your head is ridiculous. <laughs> it's ridiculous. So you're gonna run it bald or wearing a hat? No, I'm wearing a hat. You gotta wear a hat, right? Yeah. That sun will get you. That sun and that soul. All right. This episode, we're going to talk about one of my favorite things to talk about in the whole world, uh, a very violent event, which is called a riot, all right? Uh, and that happened <laughs> between uh, Andrew Galata, Riddick Bowe, 1995. Riddick Bowe was on the comeback trail. Actually, 1996, I believe. Interesting year. Great year. The, 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 Tupac the, the, died and so did Biggie. I know, man. And we had the riot. Sad year. And we had the riot. If people don't know, the, the fight was a barn burner. Uh, for some of it, uh, actually, no, Galata was just whooping his ass the whole time. That's what was happening. The second one was a barn burner. And it's it, interesting to me. There's always controversy surrounding Galata. Oh, bro, he, the guy was, he was, he worked for like the Polish mafia when he lived in you Poland. You said it. Yeah. I didn't say it. I said it. it. I said it. I know what it is. Was he from Chicago? He, that's what it was a big Polish, uh, diaspora. Did I say that correct? You Di just, you diaspora? Could, you you, you could have just said community. Diaspora? Diaspora. Yeah, there's a big guy, Polish diaspora of the day that in Chicago. To you. In Chicago. That uh, he, he got caught up, that he moved in with. You know, you're going to get in where you fit in. You know what I mean? He came over here. He, he fought some guys. He bit a guy on the shoulder. Ended up getting a fight. Uh, and, and the Polish colors are, are, are red and white, right? Red and white. And yeah. the thing is, when you have a heavyweight wearing, like, red and white trunks, they look like a freaking box of popcorn just yeah. moving around the he, ring. He looked like a big square. Yeah. That's what he looked like. He looked like... If SpongeBob was a person, that's why. <laughs> right. That's he just looked like a big square, like a refrigerator. The thing is, this is that people didn't know about Colada, and we saw that night that big man could box. Mm. And that, you know, later in his career, we all know that he was his own worst enemy. But we're going to be speaking to Curran Badia about this. He's well versed in boxing. And without further ado, we're going to bring out our man Karam Batia. Ringside announcer, what's happening, Daddy-O? I'm Sergio. This is my co-host with the most, Derek Drescher. Hey, what's going on, guys? How are you? How you doing? Doing well. I got your name correct, right? Batia? Uh, yeah, Curran Batia. Oh, Batia. Batia, let it flow. Let yeah, it I got to let it flow. Let it flow. Curran Batia. I think with Batia. New Yorkers, we like to, like, pronounce stuff more. Yeah, you know put a lot mean? of emphasis on the uh-uh. Like Jimmy Garoppolo, I call him Jimmy Garoppolo. That's what I call him. <laughs> Who's that? <laughs> He's a quarterback for the NFL. Oh, uh, <laughs> I, I should know this. I have a uh, a Raiders hat on all week long. You're a Raiders fan. Interesting season for them. I'm, I'm like, nah, nah, nah. They match my sneakers. <laughs> there you Most go. Most important. I hear that, man. I'm a, I'm a suffering Jets fan, so Oof. that's where I'm at right now. 
I'm a Lions fan, so we're, none of us are. Uh, they're probably yeah. going to go 0-16 again this year. That's how we're looking. At least you, at least you get a good draft pick. Yeah. Yeah. Karan, thank uh, I appreciate you joining us. You know, so on POP, picking off punches, what we do, we highlight uh, historic b- boxing figures. Uh, but in this case, we thought it would be dope to have you on because you're so savvy across the board and highlight the 96 riot that took place against Galata and Bo. Absolutely, man. Yeah, Madison Square Garden, 1996. Uh, Riddick Bo versus Andrew Galata. It was it was a crazy time, and I think also what was interesting was just the racial tensions that that really kind of played a part in that. One thing, you know, even before we get into it, one one comment that always stood out to me when I think about that, Jim Lampley said, "You knew who everyone was rooting for, and they didn't have to wear jerseys, right?" And I think I think that's part of it is just the kind of the 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 way the crowd was split, and then eventually, of course, what happened that night. Yeah, yeah, I remember I watched that fight with my father, and you could tell they you were, were involved in the riots. I was not. That's footage of you. <laughs> I was only 15 years old. Yeah, uh, that's the guy you stud. The 12th time you were locked up at the age of 15. <laughs> he has a long history, longer than a nuke bow, big L line, MVP. <laughs> who was Bo coming off of? Was he coming off of? Who, who did he just fight? Bo, so Bo fought Evander Holyfield right before this. these two fights. With For the Galata. third time, right? Yeah, and he the only loss actually in Bo's career, I believe, was the second time he fought Holyfield. Right, and then he was able to to get revenge. But but my understanding is, you know, Holyfield was a little bit older at that time. But at the same time, the reason that they picked Galata for for Bo was that the assumption was that Galata was good but not too good, so Bo could have success against him. And I think when that fight started, a lot of people were like, "Wow, you know, Galata's doing his thing. He's working behind the jab. He's having success." And I think you know people were pretty impressed from what they were seeing from Galata, who was the younger man that night. Yeah, Bo came in a little heavy, right, for Galata. I think one of the famous lines. Yeah, Bo was also the first guy to beat Holyfield. Is He's that for, correct? I think I think that's correct. I can yeah. look that up. At that time, I yeah, think so. yeah. I think he handed uh, Holyfield his first Not, loss. He handed Holy, and he was also the the first guy to knock Holyfield out in the third fight. He knocked him out. And yeah, whole loss against Michael Moore, I believe, after he uh, got the title back from Bo in the second fight. Yeah, and I, I do believe Bo was the first man to defeat defeat Holyfield. And to your point about uh, Bo, I think that was an issue a lot of people had in terms of his his training. Right, he would gain a lot of weight between fights, 50, 60 pounds, and obviously as a heavyweight, you know, you don't have to weigh in, you don't have to make a specific weight, you don't have to cut, so that's more easy to do. But it's it's obviously not a good thing. I mean, you look at fighters who have success in the game. For example, like a Floyd Mayweather looked like he was always in shape. Manny Pacquiao is known for the crazy training regimen. You never saw him like you know gaining a ton of weight between fights i mean for most fighters it seems like if you want to have success you want to stay in shape i i still remember when andre ward fought kovalev the next morning he posted a, a, a selfie in the gym and i was like that's dedication yeah. man you just went through this long training camp uh you just fought this beast of you know this 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 great fight and now you're back in the gym the next morning i mean that that's kind of the dedication that we want from our fighters right absolutely yeah. speaking of ward and kovalev i want to ask did you fi- did you think that uh ward won that first fight i have to go back and score round by round i'll tell you this when the first few rounds it looked like ward didn't even belong in that ring i remember kovalev knocked him down which was shocking ward had been knocked down uh before you know still shocking to see someone as technically skilled as ward going down 
And I give him credit because he kept himself in the fight. If, if you remember in the corner, Virgil Hunter's trainers talked about other great fighters who had gotten up from knockdowns to come back to win. So the motivation was there. To answer your question, I'd have to go back and score it round by round. I do remember it being a really close fight. And I, I definitely remember Kovalev having a ton of success. It's, it's like so many of these fights, man. Like, for example, Canelo and Triple G, the first one. It was such a close fight. You really have to score these round by round. Because to, to, a lot of people, you guys know this, they watch these fights, they're like, oh, I kind of felt like it was a draw. It's like, okay, well, what did you what did you score round by round? Like, oh, no, no, I just kind of felt like it was a draw. It's yeah. like, no, no, that's not how boxing scoring works, you know? You know what you, you don't see much of anymore, I feel like? I feel like you don't see enough 10-10 rounds. In, in terms of a draw and a round, yeah. yeah. I mean, judges are able to do, are you able to use that? I, I, I agree with you. I think that... You know, there's just some rounds that are just too close to call. So if you if you feel that way, you know, nothing wrong with giving it a 10-10. Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, no, I, I agree with you there for sure. I just want to highlight this. Virgil Hunter's uh, speech to Ward, that gave me goosebumps because he let him – it was real. And it was inspiring. And I think it re he really dug in from that. I mean, Ward made no uh, doubt about it in the second fight. He knocked him oh, out. Absolutely. He knocked him out. Oh, certainly. Yeah. yeah. And and to your point about, I mean, the trainer, you know, we talk about what trainers can do for fighters. Is it the fighter? Is it the trainer? There's been so many great cases, uh, you know, even in recent history. Of course, Teddy Atlas trying to motivate Tim Bradley is is, you know, we are firemen is always is always an interesting one. And even more recently, Sugar Hill Stewart was in the corner for Tyson Fury against Wilder, and he did a great job uh motivating Tyson Fury. He, of course, learned from the great Emmanuel Stewart, who I was lucky enough uh to work with, who was another brilliant motivator. He's the one who told uh, Lennox Lewis, "Hey, you got a dead man in front of you when he was fighting Mike Tyson, and and he, Lewis eventually knocked him out after that." I love that that he goes, he, "The man don't want to fight no more. Get him out of there. You're gonna get caught with some shit, man." I love that. I love that uh, exchange they that had, was great. had with him. Yeah. But back to your point with Teddy Atlas and Tim Bradley, that was a great speech because Teddy Atlas is a talker. The only thing is, he was beaten. Rios's ass. There was no reason for he that. Wanted him to get the knockout. That's what it was. I was just like, it reminded me of when I was in Pee Wee League and we were winning twelve zip, mm -hmm. and I I huddled up with my catcher with the next bat. Like you don't need to huddle. We're winning this shit. Like you didn't need the extra. The thing that I loved about Teddy is if he, if the fighter that he was uh, working with at the time was into what he was doing, like he did it with uh, Alexander. Uh, Pavetkin also they talking to him about we could bring your father back for one night because he was he was having a rough time with Ruslan Chegov and uh he ended up stepping on the gas and winning that fight so yeah that it's 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 uh, I remember the fight you're talking about and he said you know we can bring back your father's legacy by what you do here in the ring yep. um and and yeah that's certainly you know a good way to to motivate your fighter it's interesting to your to your point about when you should motivate your fighter uh one, one another one that I always thought was interesting was Pacquiao versus Marquez the fourth time now eventually we know Pacquiao got knocked out right in the sixth round everyone knows seen him falling flat on his face but in the fifth round Pacquiao was actually having a lot of success he knocked down Marquez and that's that's a time where you would think that Freddie would be like you know not congratulating Pacquiao but being like all right you're doing the right thing if you watch the between rounds that's actually when Freddie gets most angry and most motivating Pacquiao and he said move your head you need to move your head he, he was like really you know kind of tearing him apart there even after a successful round so you know great trainers have obviously different ways of, of handling things in the corner and riddick bow had one of the greatest trainers of all time which was eddie futch i believe eddie futch once said he had a hard time motivating bow is that true did you hear that also yeah yeah and obviously a really really great trainer 
it's we, we were talking about Teddy Atlas. Teddy Atlas had a similar challenge with Michael Moore, right? It's 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 always it's tough if your fighter's the one who's not motivated. Uh, we talked about Freddie Roach a couple times. He he talked about when he was training Chavez Jr. and Freddie would be at the gym and Chavez Jr. you know was nowhere to be found at the time. So training a fighter is hard enough if your fighter doesn't want to be there. Uh, that's that's going to be make it so much harder. Yeah, and that's why Bo had that big weight gain. They the, the media questioned him about it before the fight with Galata. They said, how's your training been going? And he said, how do you train for a bum? Yeah, disrespectful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's never good. I mean, it's it's whatever fighters need to do to motivate themselves. Some some fighters need something like that. So. July 11th, 1996. 1996, that was my year. I was, I was 18 15. years old. I had one tattoo of a lion head right here and my name right here. Yeah. I thought I was Tupac Shakur. I had a, I had the Caesar. I had the Caesar, <laughs> the ill Caesar haircut. Curran, so, how old were you in 1996? Uh, I was 10 years old in 96. So, oh, so. man, just a youngin'. Were you watching fights back then? Uh, I was. I wasn't watching this one, um, but, you know, I was always interested in, in fights. You know, I think we all were, especially at that time. It was, You know, how many people do you talk to nowadays and they're like, oh, man, I miss like those days of like the, you know the great heavyweights and Tyson and things like that, right? I, it, it feels like a, it was a fun time. I just remember watching all those fights with my father, like sitting by the uh, he had a, a lazy boy. And I'd sit like when he fought when Spinks fought Tyson. I remember dad, my father being like, "What? This is the night somebody gives Tyson a run for the money." And then I was like, "What happened to your guy?" But anyway, he slammed the door. <laughs> he was upset. So so we they go into this fight. A lot of basically an unknown. Bo. You know, was already was undisputed champion at one time from beating Holyfield, basically looking to get back into the title picture. And what they don't know is they have this uh, Polish monster on their hands, basically. And a lot of people don't know this. Uh, you know, Galata was famous for his fouling, but he, he bit a guy in the ring, I think Samson Pahua. Do you know the guy I'm talking? He, yeah, he bit someone. I, I, I'm not sure who. And then he also headbutted someone, I believe, yep. as well. <laughs> it's kind of like this, the famous Mike Tyson phrase, right? Everyone has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. When things get crazy in there, how do you respond? And we've seen fighters who respond well in through adversity. And we've seen fighters like, for example, Victor Ortiz against Floyd Mayweather, right? Things got tough in there and he started trying to headbutt him. You know, of course, the, the hit and the break after. But it's, it's all about how people respond. And obviously, Galata does not necessarily respond well. Interesting about about the Galata fight, though, he was winning. He was winning easy. Yeah, and to foul. I, hey, he he when he was out jabbing Bo big time. You could and you could tell Bo wasn't in shape to keep the pace of the fight. So why I, would he foul? I, you know what? Bo still has. You know, he's got heavy hands. He probably got cracked a few times, I would imagine, and then decided to start hitting low. Is that is that what you think, Karan? I mean, so I think I think Galata was definitely having success. He was working behind the jab. He was doing his thing. And if you look at the scorecards uh, at the time of the stoppage, Galata was was ahead on all the scorecards, 67 to 66, 67 to 65. So he he was definitely winning the fight. And I think a lot of people were uh, you know surprised by, by that. In terms of why would you start going to the low blows? I mean, it could be a combination of things. Boxing, you know, as, as much of a physical thing it is, there's also a mental component. And, and if you're depending on what's going through your head at that moment, even if maybe you're having success maybe it's hard for you to process that you're ha ha having success it could be a physical thing where it, you know fatigue sets in and now your punches that were hitting the belt line are just going lower because you're more tired it could be just getting all those warnings maybe that was getting into his head you know i'm not sure exactly why he did it but he definitely was hitting him low and i think that obviously helped bow out because he got the dq win instead of what would have most likely been a loss even in bow's words he knew that he was he was getting beat that night and then that led to the uh the crazy aftermath and and the uh, overall riot in madison square garden that night yeah so if he doesn't if he doesn't hit him low and he doesn't get the points deducted he's basically 
likely pitching a shutout because he, he's going to be up 69-66 on one scorecard. He's whooping Bo, right? Points get deducted. Seventh round comes. He hits him low again. They stop the fight. Maybe his training regimen at home was hitting kids, and that's well, why he went so low. So this is I, – I, so I – Bang! I knew a lot of Polish guys from Brooklyn back in the day, and they, they told me Oh, that, we got some some insight from the culture. That Andrew Galato was an enforcer for underworld figures in Poland. You're I don't not, know if that's you're true. You're not getting me involved in that mob <laughs> talk. Ron, you don't have to speak on that. I'm going to stay away from that too, man. <laughs> so they were like, yo, I, this guy is a bad guy. Like, who said? <laughs> people. People I know. So you can't trust guys who wear fur during the interviews, man. He knows all types of inside, underground, dark worlds. So when the riot happened, because, all right, now we got to get into Rock Newman, who were, were also, Rock Newman, very, very protective of Riddick Bowe. I, I saw him grab a fighter and pull him over the top rope one time. Henry Tillman versus Riddick Bowe. What, ever... what was Rock Newman's role in that? I forget. I'm Rock old. Newman was Bowe's manager, I manager, believe. Manager, right? right? Do you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah correct. I believe he yeah. was manager. And he was definitely very, like you said, very protective uh, of uh, Bo. Yeah, that clip of him grabbing the fighter is, is you know, amazing. But if you look at the brawl, I mean, that was, there was a few people in Bo's camp who kind of started that. They came in the ring and they kind of went after Galata as Galata had his back turned. And these this is the same group of people um, who had the uh, the fan man issue as well. They were kind of beating down fan man. Yep. I think they were hitting Galata in the head with the walkie-talkie or, or the radio. Brooklyn was in abundance, right? Yeah, man. They were in Brownsville. It was in, definitely in the building. And not only did... That's a couple of stops away. But the, So this fight happens in the ring and then it, it spills over into the crowd and basically what happens is like a, a race riot. It's like blacks versus the Polish. That's basically what happened. Yeah, that that's the the comment I was, you know, Jim Lampley's comment. You knew who was on everyone's team without the jerseys. You know, it was definitely racial. It was tribal. To, to your point, I mean, I think a lot of fans probably came in from Brooklyn rooting for Bo, and then you had these Polish fans. You know, we've we've all been at the fights. We know how you know fans can get. You you know, get a couple drinks in you. You you rooting for your guy, and then something like this crazy happens. You didn't get necessarily get your money's worth. You're probably not happy. And then it was just like a wildfire, man. It started in the ring, and then it just spread. And if you look at the announcers, you know, people I work with closely, like Jim Lampley, Larry Merchant, they were in the building. They had to kind of move away and get away from this, but they they were involved too. People were snatching their headset. You had George Foreman was trying to kind of calm people down and, and trying to, you know, tell people to stop rioting. But it just it just spread, man, like a wildfire. Yeah, George Foreman was going, no, son, don't do it, son. Don't do it. And Lampley, Lampley, I could tell Jim Lampley was scared to death. I remember him saying he had he's like, I have a, a child somewhere here. And I think his daughter was there in the building. The night oh, of the fight. I remember that. Yeah. Jim said that, you know, my, my old boss at HBO was Ross Greenberg. He was the producer at the time for this show. And he went into Jim's ear at the end and he said, just give us a personal comment. Take us off the air. And Jim said the first thing he thought of was my daughter's in here. And that's what he said on air. He said, for me, I have a 16 year old daughter and I'm, I'm looking to make sure she's safe. So you can only imagine what that's like, knowing that that your own you know, flesh and blood is in this building and this riot's going on and you have no idea where they are and you can't contact them. Yeah. The last time I seen something that out of control was in 1996, the Latin Kings came into the Copa. And they range from the age of six to sixty-six. Oh my god! Yeah, and I crossed the street. I said, "I think it's time for me to go home." I tucked my little chain in my turtleneck, and I was out. Well, how old were you at that time? You were fourteen, fifteen years old. I was forty-three. You know, I was, I was like fifteen, sixteen. They they ended up fighting again that December. Some guys just have like a it's like almost like a black cloud following them them around for their their career. 
you know, some of it is brought on to them by themselves. But you had like the fan man incident with Bo. His guys beat beat them up, and then you know you had the the fight with Galata and his his guys. I mean, just they raised complete hell. And both of their careers, neither one of them ever matched up to what their potential was. I believe. Yeah, I mean, it's unfortunate that you know Galata is training for the rematch, and it's one of it's one of the funniest things I've seen. Lou Duva, his trainer, literally put like trunks on a heavy bag to say hit above here, and it's like. You know, for you you mentioned it was in December of that year. So the first fight in July, second fight in December. I'm sure the entire training camp, all he's thinking about is don't hit low. And then he goes into the second fight. He's winning the second fight on the scorecards. And what does he do? He hits low again and just gives it away. And it's just it's just something that only happens in boxing, man. It's so bizarre. It's so crazy. And it's just, you know, we call boxing the theater of the unexpected. And like, I mean, it's just so crazy that. You get DQ'd the first time, you come back and do it again. And in terms of, yeah, where their careers went, I mean, Bo, you know, he kind of retired. He said he was going to go into the Marine Corps, I believe it was. And they said he lasted like three days um, in, in uh, training. And then he had, he did some prison time and he did do a couple comeback fights. But obviously, I don't think he ever fought at that, you know, that high level again. Right. And then Galata, I just remember him getting starched by Lennox Lewis. And I think Michael Grant beat him, too. Ty, even Tyson, even when he fought Tyson, he he quit with Tyson. Quit. He was and, he and was beating throwing, Michael Grant too. And they were throwing slushies at him. Yeah, I remember. remember yeah, that? yeah. He got his nose broken. Quit. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. His his uh, reward for for after you know these DQs was to get at Lennox Lewis. He got knocked out in the first round, and then yeah, he had he had some more fights, and then he ended his career on on three losses. So you know, yeah, it's it's unfortunate. Obviously, you know, both of their careers and paths were were altered that night uh, in 1996 based on on what happened. And yeah, I mean, it's just it's just unfortunate. And and like I said, it's the theater of the unexpected. I mean, that's boxing. And that wasn't the first uh, riot. Well, remember after- Mayweather and Zab Judah? That could have been a riot. Floyd should have been DQ'd for that because Roger walked in the ring. You're not supposed to walk in the ring. Yeah, like anytime you're, if your trainer comes in the ring, yeah, it's a, there's supposed to be a disqualification. Yeah, but I'm so, that, that could have been yeah. real. I'm glad they didn't do that. I mean, it was Vegas, though. Yeah, those people aren't going to riot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was another. That was another. You know, we were talking about fighters and and you know mentally, you know, being strong and things like that. Zab Judah was having success against Mayweather. He backed up Mayweather first four rounds. He was doing his thing, and then and then to your point, that almost led to like a mini riot. It's crazy that the fight continued after that. And and yeah, to your point, if the trainer gets up there or gets in the ring or anything like that, it's supposed to be a DQ. I guess they wanted to use, you know, maybe common sense thinking versus like maybe exactly by the book. But yeah, that was another that was another crazy one as well. You know what? I, I, I'm just going to say this because uh, he never got credit for it. Like the referee didn't call it a knockdown, but Zab Judah did knock down Floyd Mayweather. Oh, absolutely. He, his glove touched the canvas. I mean, he was going to lose anyway, but I just, you know, I just wanted to. He, Zab's a, he's a Brooklyn guy. Yeah, he had so. white gloves on, which I believe were winning, which is which is strange because you don't see pro fights wear winning boxing gloves. I don't remember what kind of t- what type of gloves they and were. T- they touched the ground for sure. Yeah. So there. Well, yeah. So the the thing about Floyd is the one thing that he had issue was was the his hands, right? He had kind of the brittle hands, which is why later on his career is much more like technical style, defensive, and and not like necessarily knocking people out. And so if it was winning gloves, winning gloves are known to have more padding around the knuckle. So that is probably the reason if they were winning gloves. And yeah, if you watch the replay, he stumbles back 
And if any part of your body besides the bottom of your shoes touches the canvas, that's supposed to be a knockdown. So I don't think they had instant replay back then. And even now with instant replay, I mean, it's still kind of iffy the way they use it. Sometimes they screw it up. It's not like the NFL where they have like a really good system for replay. Um, But it would be nice if they implemented that in boxing. Another race riot, I believe, or riot, and this was a race riot, I believe, was when Jack Johnson won the heavyweight title. Jack Johnson, man, he wore gold teeth and dated a bunch of white women. He was he, a G back in the 20s. Who did he beat? Willard? Was in the 20s? Who did he knock out? I don't know, man. That's back, that's 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 black and white footage. I'm telling you. I think, <laughs> I that's, think that's they rioted. That's talk like this. And here, it hits him on the left and the right. I think they rioted across the country when Jack Johnson won. Yeah. I mean, the, the fact that when he was fighting, you know, so, you know, in, in the 1900s and, the, you know, the, the teens and stuff, I mean, obviously things were so different back then. You know, if you have someone having success, there's going to be people who are not happy about it. Uh, and, and obviously that's going to, you know, you know, spark those racial tensions for sure. I think he knocked out Jim Jeffries. It was Independence Day. What a. And he was a showboater, too. Jack Johnson, from what I know, from everything I've seen about him, yeah, he liked to play. He was... Well, I think more just like this is what I'm doing. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, you know, during these times, he he dated a lot of white women. He wore gold teeth. He flashed his money. He wore really, he dressed really nice too. Yeah, really, tailored really suits. Nice. Yep, tailored suits. <laughs> and he was like, he was a step above everybody. They were like this back in the days, right? Yeah, but like he that. used to actually, if you watch, you know, the, I've seen old footage of him. Yeah, he moved. He Horse moved. head gloves. Yep. And he hit him on the left, and everyone <laughs> smoked cigarettes and had derbies on, and arrived to the fights on horses <laughs> this, boxing was different back then man boxing was they fought, yeah. they fought 120 rounds of fight and there was a hundred thousand people at fights yeah and shit. they have four ounce gloves <laughs> they it's used, crazy man people don't know that that they they used to just keep fighting until there was a winner um there's some fights that went insane amount of rounds and the, the other thing that was crazy back then is they used to fight all the time like you would fight like every few weeks sometimes and it's just wild, like, to imagine that today, you know, the big fighters only fight, like, you know, once or twice a year. So it's it's wild to, to think about how much they, how active they were back then. I wish boxing was still big enough to where they, they could fight in stadiums again. Because I remember just, like, looking, like, you know, going through the history they of boxing. stadiums. Yeah, but Yankee Stadium. I mean, yeah, there has been a few fights. I think Pacquiao M- fought in that Cotto, Miguel Cotto fought Yuri yeah, Foreman. Yeah, Cotto fought Yuri Foreman. Right. Yeah. That's right. I forgot. Yeah, that was a big one. I was there for that. Cotto versus Yuri Foreman. That was, that was a good night at, at Yankee Stadium. Yeah, that was, that was another other interesting uh finish to a fight that he was blew a his knee out as well Yuri Foreman right he blew his knee and then the referee kind of was like you know I think you're okay I think you can keep going and then there was a towel thrown in they weren't sure who threw the towel in so they kept the fight going another round At the end of the day Cotto you know the right guy won so yeah but it, that was an, you know there's just so many bizarre endings in uh in boxing as there, we know. there was a fight where the towel was thrown in and the referee threw the towel back right what fight was that I forgot. That, well, that was that was one where he he didn't know where the towel came from, so uh, he kind of just ignored it. That was Arthur McCanty Jr., right? I believe it was, yeah. yeah. And he, you know, he that's where he was kind of like, "Suck it up, champ. You're fine." It's like, well, okay, yeah. You know? I, I, you know, I've been talking about like fighter safety. I think that you know, if a fighter doesn't want to continue, or you know, you're getting those signs, it's it's probably you know, the right thing to do to stop a fight. Um, I'd rather stop it too early than too late. There's also caveats to that. If you look at someone like Deontay Wilder, for example, Wilder said, I want a body on my record. That that was one of his goals. And the other thing is, you know, he wants to, he's someone who wants to go out on his shield, no matter what happens. He doesn't want a referee or anyone to stop a fight for him. His, his trainer stopped it uh, in the second Fury fight and he fired him. So, that you know, it's it's, it's interesting to see fighters' mentalities. It's it's different for each fighter. Well, he got what he wanted the second fight, uh, the last fight. The third, he, got, he, he went out on his shield. I mean, he stayed in there until the end. What a great fight. How did you feel about that uh, 
that third fight that they had. That was an amazing trilogy, man. And and the thing that that really did it for that third fight was so many times sports fans, mainstream fans tune into boxing and they're kind of disappointed. And it's like, oh, this is why I don't watch boxing, like whatever. That lived up to the hype. It was better than we even hoped. Guys are trading knockdowns. They're heavyweights. I mean, they had every possible storyline, US versus UK, and these guys were larger than life. You got to tip your cap to Fury, man. But it's crazy to me that in that rivalry, Fury has been knocked down twice in two fights in that rivalry, and he's never lost. It's crazy. Yeah, it's a great fight. that is. I, I, the third fight I was watching with my friends, I, right before Deontay landed that that right hand that put Fury down, I, I we looked at each other, and I was like, yeah, this is starting to look like it's not even fair because Fury was doing such a wonderful job boxing, and Deontay lands that right hand. That's the thing about the heavyweights, man. One punch, one punch. Yeah, I tip my hat to Fury for, for climbing Fury off the Fury has so much in his arsenal. I mean, dude, even the way he closed the distance, that like he, like, bend a little bit, and they came with that right hook. That's mm-hmm. like, you don't see a lot of heavyweights do that. You know, I Absolutely. mean, the way he closed in through that hook, that shit was dope. For his size, he can box and move. Yeah. And then what he realized with Wilder is because the first fight was a draw and it was pretty close. He realized that, hey, if I just bulk up, I can just be the bigger man. And I mean, that's that's something good to have in your arsenal that you can kind of go both ways, you know, have different styles. And that and that's almost like what it seems like people want to see from Anthony Joshua, because Anthony Joshua, after after he lost to Ruiz, he came back and kind of reinvented himself as a as more of a smooth boxer, kind of working behind the jab and moving. And then he got outboxed by Usyk now. And in a way, it seems like people are maybe calling for like the tougher, angrier Anthony Joshua. It's like, well, now that in this fight with Usyk, you going into the rematch, you are the bigger man. Use that size. We'll see what happens in that rematch. That's, that's another really interesting rematch. But we'll see if Joshua can kind of try to impose himself as the bigger man in that one. Losing to, to Usyk, I mean, like, you know, the old saying is a, a good big man beats a good small man. But, I mean, losing to Usyk, hopefully he got some kind of a of rub from it, you know, like just like when Canelo lost to Mayweather. I mean, he he lost to a, to a guy that had – how many amateur fights did Usyk have? over 300, yeah, right? Yeah, I mean, Usyk knows how to box, so hopefully he, Joshua he – he, he fought a perfect match. I mean, he was slipping and punching. He was he was moving Combinations. Well. Yeah, I don't. I see I see Usyk beating him again. I just think uh, 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 Joshua is too rigid, too, too – like – he stands up too straight and tall. I don't know if he could change that. And I'm not sure if he has that meanness in him that he did when he fought one, the, the Klitschko. I don't know, you know the Klitschko. What's uh, he fought? Uh, Vladimir. Vladimir. Vladimir, yeah. Yeah, I don't know he if he has Vladimir, that. He fought Vladimir, yeah. That was, that was a brilliant fight yeah. where he came up, he got knocked down, he came up, he knocked down Vladimir, ended up winning by knockout. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting to see what, what will happen to Joshua. I mean, they say the, the definition of insanity is trying the same thing and expecting a different result. And you have to give Joshua credit, actually. He's been doing like a tour across America to find a new trainer. So he is he is making those adjustments. And if you hear him in interviews... He said, I'm sick of losing. I'm going to be that angry guy now. So when he lost to Ruiz the first time, he kind of went into the fortress of solitude and he, like, you know, obviously trained very hard for that rematch. So I could see him maybe doing the same thing again. You know, he's motivated. I think there's still a lot of fight left in him. Yeah, for sure. I, I enjoyed Joshua. You know, he was serious on that second Ruiz fight because he came without a haircut. I was like, oh <laughs> boy, this yeah. guy got a mini afro, yep, no yep. shape up. Yep. I was like, he was in the dungeon. Let it grow. So thank you for uh, assisting us with the highlight of the 96 riot. Moving forward, what do you? What, what's your uh, opinion on the state of boxing right now? Who do you like? What would you like to see changes? You know, give us your insight on that. You know, I, I think it's a really interesting time in boxing. I think it's a really good time in boxing as well. Obviously, we talked about the heavyweights that are crushing. I feel like if there's top heavyweights doing their thing, that that's always a good thing for the state of boxing. It's
It's also, like I said, interesting because we have a lot of people from other walks of life now participating in boxing. We have ex-MMA fighters and UFC fighters. We have social media influencers. We have YouTubers. We have celebrities. They're all kind of coming to boxing right now, which I personally think is a great thing. I think I know people are very divided on this issue, but I've always said if you're a YouTuber, you've done a lot of work to build your audience, right? That was that it takes it takes a lot of work to create content and keep an engaged fan base. So I give credit to people from the, you know from other walks of life doing that and then getting into boxing and having these big events. For example, someone like Jake Paul, one thing that pe maybe people don't know is Jake Paul is allowing the fighters on the undercard to get a lot of exposure. They're gaining more followers. They're getting career high paydays just by being on the undercard, just by being involved. So to, to answer your question, man, the state of boxing, I think it's in a good spot right now because we have a lot of different platforms. We have a lot of people from a lot of different walks of life. And, and there's, you know, you could say there's something for everybody right now. I couldn't agree more. I mean, that's a, a, a beautiful assessment on, on the state of boxing. I think you hit it right on the head. I think it does nothing but uh, promote it across the board and everyone who wants to get involved, uh, the, uh, the more the merrier. And you're right, a lot of people are being compensated. A lot of pro fighters are being compensated. People who think, oh, I've been, you know, there's fighters who think, oh, I've been working this long and I don't got a, uh, a, a payday like that. Well, you don't have the same following as right, Jake right, Paul. Right. You know, but if you find that undercard, which, you know, the more these guys get the opportunities, the more they're going to see the opportunities. Yeah. The thing, know? and one thing I can say about Jake Paul, like, even though, like, of course he's annoying and he does, uh, you know, he, he does a lot of things for clout and to get people to want to see what he's doing is that at least he has enough respect for the sport to like train. Oh, he's training, he's training yeah. his ass off. Right. And you know? he's bumping up the competition. I mean, yeah. he's fighting uh, Fury's brother now, I, Tommy Fury. I'm pretty sure he's going to get knocked out this next one. Yeah. I, I, we, I, see, that's the thing. We've been saying that yeah, every time. You're, you're right, like, oh, you're man, right. he's fighting, you know, Ben Askren, who's a, who's a real fighter, and he's taking punishment, and he knocked him out. Oh, Tyron Woodley, you know, he ended up surviving that round against Woodley, and he ended up winning the fight. I mean, you know, it, it, it's it's so easy to pick against him, but he, he keeps proving people wrong. Well, the fr those first two fights, I thought Jake Paul win. I think he loses this one. I, I thought he would beat Woodley. I thought he would beat— You, you uh, know much about this kid? Uh, Is it Tommy Fury? Tommy Fury. Tommy Fury, yeah, yeah. So he's, uh, I believe, the half-brother— of Tyson Fury. Now, the, here's here's where Jake Paul gets credit because he's fighting someone who's the same age as him and not like an older guy who's washed. He's fighting a pro boxer. The, Tommy Fury is a professional boxer, and I think he's had about six or seven fights. And he's fighting someone who's like in shape and and you know big guy. It's not like it's not like Fury's gonna have. Uh, sorry, it's not like Jake Paul's gonna have the size advantage like he did against Nate Robinson. Mm -hmm. I, I give I give credit to Jake Paul in terms of Fury. I mean. Fury was on the undercard, I believe, of, of Jake Paul versus Woodley. And we kind of were looking for him to impress and get a knocked out, knock, you know, knock down, knock out. And he didn't do that. He won the fight, but it was kind of boring. So it was like, you know, you wanted to see a little more from him. I just think it's a really good test. I mean, I think it's a good test for both guys. And I think they'll, you know, obviously both make a lot of money from it. <laughs> Before we go, do you think we live in a world where Jake Paul might possibly, like, get a title one day? Uh, see, that's that's what we'll learn in December when mm. he takes on Fury, right? I mean, there, there's one thing about you could make arguments for the opposition that he's had, right? Nate Robinson was a basketball player who looked like he didn't belong in the ring. Mm. Woodley and Askren, they were MMA fighters, right? And, you know, they were also older in age. You know, I believe Askren was over 40. Uh, Woodley was like 39, I think it was. So we'll learn a lot in December, but 
I mean, if he can have success, then why not? You know, why, why, what is wrong with someone who has a different background coming into this game? We've seen fighters come in, you know, late to boxing and, and other walks of life and have success. So Anthony Mundine, he was a rugby player. Yeah, there we you go. Yeah. And, and also it's like, there's so many titles now. That's one of the problems yeah. with our sport that there's four major titles. And then there's like many other titles. There's the interim title and the emeritus title and the silver title. It's just like, so to, to answer your question, I mean, I'm sure, you know, someone's going to put him up for a title fight. Yeah, of course. Give him something. Yeah. Let me. So let me ask you guys this. You sure. guys mentioned you guys mentioned you were fans uh, of your football teams. But in terms of fighters, who are you fans of and what are the fights that you guys are looking forward to? I mean, I love I love watching Canelo just because he's he's just so good at what he does. I like Teofimo Lopez and in a way, in a way is my guy. I love, I love watching. He's such a monster. I enjoy. Uh, there's a lot of fighters I like now, but back when uh, when he was active, Cotto was my man. I enjoyed Cotto because he was uh, a boxer puncher. He could go upstairs and downstairs. He didn't talk shit. Although I like shit talkers, but I like the fact that he was humble, <laughs> you know, and he was vulnerable. You know, he would go in and he would be exposed a little bit, but always fight through, and there was never one boring fight for Miguel Cotto. He fought everybody that was super exciting. Yeah. My favorite fighter of all time, Felix Trinidad. He didn't get the same recognition as, well, they both got love, but Felix was so much more of an extrovert. Yeah. Cotto was a more of an introvert. You know, yeah. Cotto, let him, you know, he did his talking in the ring. I, I spent some time with him in Puerto Rico earlier this year. We kind of looked back at his career. We chatted. He's he's a really great guy. We were talking about these bizarre incidents in boxing and he was involved in that, too, with with Margarito. You know, with the next fight, of course, they found, you know, something in Margarito's gloves. So, you know, the question's out to, as to what happened in the first fight. I'm sure Cotto believes uh, that's that, you know, Margarita was cheating. A, a lot of people do. So, I mean, I guess we'll never really know the true potential of, of Miguel Cotto had that not happened. Yeah, that fight had to take a lot out of him with Margarita. You know right? what? I, I want to kind of save that. Curran, would you promise to do an episode highlighting that, that day, that fight? That would be dope. In the oh, future. absolutely. Because we could go a, in on you know, that one. And I might cry in that episode. So if I get off camera <laughs> to get the Kleenex, don't mind me. Because that fight broke my heart, man. And we, we definitely had to commit an episode. His face was... Yeah, yeah it was tough. There, there's so much that went on in that rivalry. And that first fight, of course. And I was I was live at the the second fight we did, on, you know, broadcasting it for HBO. It was great. So when I was walking around with with Miguel in in Puerto Rico, the restaurant we were at had a giant mural, and it was just Cotto landing a hard shot on Margarito in the second fight, and and Miguel just paused and he just stared at it, and he just said, "My greatest moment." And so obviously, getting revenge on Margarito that that meant a lot to him. That's yeah. awesome, man. I can't wait. So we're gonna definitely highlight that episode. Absolutely. And I would love to have you back on. I hope you enjoyed yourself. We enjoyed having you. Anything you want to plug in before we get out of here? Uh, well, first of all, no, thank you guys so much for having me. I'd love to, to be back on. Anyone who's listening, you can follow me on my my uh, personal channels. I'm at Curran Batia, at C-U-R-R-A-N-B-H-A-T-I-A. Uh, and you can catch me. I'm the, the on-air ringside reporter for Ring City USA. Um, and, you know, I put out a lot of content. So, so uh, give me a follow. And, uh, yeah, no, thank you guys so much. And that is it, folks. Curran, thank you so much thank for you your so time. Much. You are the man. I can't wait to have you back on. Enjoy the rest of this beautiful weekend. And we out, man. Peace. Take care, brother. Take care. Thanks, guys. There was some idiot there trying to attack the lotter. People trying to jump in the ring. The security men are still going on. Wow, that was a lot of fun. Yo, Derek, I must say, I must say, your knowledge 
on this particular event because it had to do with a riot was significant. And props to you because this is the episode you want to cover and you uh and you did your homework, Pop. And I'm you know I'm impressed. I mean, if it's violence, I'm all in. <laughs> I'm all in, especially if it's televised violence, complete mayhem and chaos. I, I I'm interested. You've, you've piqued my interest. If, <laughs> what if, was your if favorite part about the riot? I, when Galata started getting hit in the head with the walkie-talkie, I was like, oh! But it got scary, though, too, when, like, Duva was on the stretcher. Like, every, I thought he took one. He was like, oh! You know, yeah. it was a scary time, bro. Yeah, I mean, and then to see Lou Duva, like, you know, he's such a he's such a ferocious guy, like, laid out like that. You yeah. don't see it, you know. Yeah. Well, and I he bet got that, you. That, that greasy white hair. You know, it's like Vaseline yeah. in there. Yeah. It was, like, all messy. He's pulling it out. It's Vaseline's fighters. I think that's crazy is Riddick Bowe got his ass whipped for about seven, eight rounds. And then, but dude, I just remember the ads for that fight when I was young. I remember they, they used to be on the radio. Back in the day, we used to have this thing called radio. I don't know if they have it anymore, AM, <laughs> AM, FM. People were like, you know, it's everything is iMusic and whatever, Spotify. But the ad, the ad was, it was Riddick Bowe was in the ad talking shit in the ad. What was he saying? Riddick Bowe. This is Riddick Bowe. I'm coming back. Catch me this Saturday at, at Madison Square Garden when I whoop Andrew Galata. And <laughs> And, and and he got whooped, but he still won. He still won. And that was a pro Riddick, you know, crowd. Hell yeah, it was a pro Riddick. But there was a race riot in the stands afterwards. It was blacks versus the Polish. Well, that's wild. You know, we're not even we're not even completely done with the riot, which makes me happy because I'll talk riots all day. Uh, because our next guest is going to be Rock Newman, who was Riddick Bowe's manager, who was there, who was there, and Rock Newman was involved in many violent altercations protecting his fighters over the years. So I feel like I'm going to get along good with him. Yeah, you're one of those uh, guys that remind me of Rock Newman because you're, like, racially ambiguous. Yeah. And so is he. Because I don't know if he's black or white. I mean, he's just a white man rocking a dashiki. I know. I don't know if he's black or white either. I'm, I'm afraid to ask him. I'll be sure to make sure you ask him that I question. feel like Rock carries, like, a, 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 a razor blade in his shoe. He's like one of them dudes. You know what I mean? <laughs> a flapjack. Yeah. All right. We out of here. Another episode in the books. Thanks for tuning in. Subscribe, comment, and all that good stuff. Yeah. My man Derek. I'm your boy, Sergio Chacon. We out.